0: Thank you so much, Beth and worship team. Good morning. Good morning. It feels very much this morning like a new season, a new chapter for our community of faith. Do you feel that? I believe that that's true with our visioning process and who we are believing God is calling us to be. Um, But I'm not gonna preach on that. We're We're gonna touch that later. What I am going to preach on is we began last week a series that we're talking about three distinctives, three hallmarks, three characteristics that I believe are meant to be central to the Christian life that in fact part of who we are, part of our identity as individual Christians, but then also corporately who we are together. And so last week we, taught, we began to talk about the peace of God, the peace, uh, uh, we began to talk about presence of God, the presence of the Father, the power of the Spirit, and the peace of Christ. So that was last Sunday. On Monday, I was praying with a congregational member, and uh, he had a loved one that was in the hospital, and uh, she's out now, praise God. But I called him, and I asked if we could pray for her together. And he said, yeah. And so I prayed, and I did my pastor prayer. It was a pretty good prayer, I think. It was a pastor's prayer. Now, I never am quite sure if I should leave space for you all to pray if you're comfortable praying with the pastor, right? So there's kind of that awkward moment. And so I said, in the name of Jesus, amen. But my friend, he wanted to pray. And so he picked up the prayer. And that was awesome. That was encouraging. And you know what he prayed? He prayed that his loved one in the hospital, that she would experience the presence of the Father, the healing power of the Holy Spirit and the peace that comes from Christ. And my first thought was, that was a way better prayer than my prayer. Dang. And then my second thought was, yes, he was listening. Yes, crucial to that. I I think these hallmarks, these distinctives are throughout The Old and New Testament, and God is saying, I want these. I want people to see that in your life. I want them to see, we began with presence last week. I want them to see my presence, my goodness, my mercy in you. I want that to be a part of who you are. In fact, last week we looked at the story of Moses, Exodus 33. It's a fascinating story. And as I shared, one of my favorite stories, it's the moment where um, they're in the desert and Moses is meeting with God. And it just came right after they they created a golden calf and were worshiping the golden calf. Can you believe it? The Israelites, they're worshiping the golden calf. And God is so upset. He is furious. And he says... Uh, All right, you have not lost the promised land. I will let you go to the promised land in which you're journeying to, but I will not go with you. I'll send an angel with you. And what does Moses say? Who remembers? No deal. Uh Ah, God, remember he's speaking to the one true living God and he says, No deal. He says, no, that your presence is so crucial, is so foundational. In fact, he says, how will anyone know? How will the nations of the world know that we are yours, that we're your people, if your presence does not go with us? He says, I'm not going anywhere unless your manifest presence, your your active presence that we talked about it.'" a difference, Moses recognizing that difference between God being present everywhere, omnipresence, and his active presence. Now that interaction with Moses took place in what, we, what uh, Old Testament said, the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting was outside the camp and it represented God's manifest presence. There was a pillar of cloud during the day And a pillar of fire during the night. And all the Israelites knew God was at that tent of meetings. And Moses would go in and engage and meet and experience and talk with God face to face. Now... We also talked about last week how the tent of meetings would become, they would create a tabernacle that would be in the middle of all the Israelites and that tabernacle right in the middle, God filled that with his his, uh, cloud, his presence and they knew that was the part of their identity is at the center of their lives, at the center of their camp was the tabernacle that God rested in his presence and then the tabernacle, Eventually, David, King David would say, that's temporary. God, we want you to, your presence to be here in a physical location. And what does David do? He plans to build the temple and eventually his son would build that temple and that temple in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount would represent that active presence, that identifier of the people of God. Now, did you know that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD? So therefore, God's presence, active presence, is no longer on the earth anymore. Huh? Huh? what did I say something wrong what do we know what do we know I mean his temple isn't there that was the that was his presence so where is his active presence did you feel it this morning in us in us in his gathered people in fact so much so that Paul the Apostle would say this. He would use the word temple to great significance. He would say, Do you not know that your bodies, Cindy, yep, there it is. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. His dwelling place, now, this is Incredible and huge, a profound aspect of the Christian faith. His presence now rests in us individually, yes, as Christians, we talked about that, but also in this profound way as a gathered community. As we gather together, as we are here right now, This theology of presence, this understanding of presence from the Old Testament, from Moses saying, now without your presence, now in this incredible, amazing way, today he says, no longer temple. It's my people right in their soul. My active presence will dwell right there. And when they get together, I'm going to be in their midst. In a very real way. And what I want to talk to you this morning about is this dynamic of the gathered people of God. We talked a little bit more about the individual, how we walk in God's presence last week. But what I want to do is I want to talk to you about what it means, this idea of presence, when we gather together. And let me ask you this question. At one point, all of you stepped into Springs Community Church for the very first time. Do you remember that? For some of you, it's like way back, right? Maybe some of you are here for the very first time this morning. I know there's at least one person. I met that one person there for the very first time. And let me ask you this. What were you looking for in a church? Now, don't give me the, the Jesus answer that you want Jesus. That's, that's all. We're lo- that, that was it. What were you looking for? If we're honest, right, and this is not bad. We're, we're saying, okay, for some of us, it's about our children. What's the children's ministry like? What's the youth ministry like? Right? Is that, is that fair to say? For some of us, it's about the music, right? Do they do good music? Well, I define what is good music and bad music, but how how does that roll, right? How about the preaching sometimes? Yeah, do do I like that? Do I not like that? Is it amiss? Am I on? I think if we're we're honest, we, we would say a lot of times our process is this idea of preference. And I want to suggest that there, all those things, they have the place, they have a role. It's not sinful necessarily to think that way. In fact, we all do. But I want to suggest there is an overarching principle that should be beyond all of those considerations, that, that should be at the center of what we're looking for in the church, the ecclesia, the assembly of God's people. And that overarching idea sometimes isn't even a part of our consideration. That's not okay. Can you guess what it is? Probably you can. However, I want you to go with me to the gospel of John. And we're going to look at a, a wonderful story that really, uh, this story is so full and so rich I could preach about 27 messages from this one story alone. I'm only going to preach one this morning. Oh, by the way, since we're one service, that means I can go as long as I want, right? Is that is that true? Hmm? <laughs> No, I'm going to trim it. In fact, I'm, I'm trimming this message. We're going to finish this message next week, okay? Because I want to take my time with this message. It's really crucial for us. So he's, uh, it's about the woman at the well that Jesus meets and engaged. And again, just rich. You could talk about prophetic words, you could talk about evangelism, you could talk about the living water, so much to talk about. But what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the dialogue specifically about worship, about the worshipers that the Father is looking for. So Jesus engages in this masterful Uh, way. He he draws her in. She's longing for this living water that that Jesus is introducing. And then she is like, Jesus has got her right there. And then he reads her mail. He shares some of her checkered past. In fact, let's start at John chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus says, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have uh, the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. All right? So for some reason, Jesus brings up her checkered past, and the woman is going to get really nervous. All right? Now, this is a Samaritan woman. Jesus is a Jew, and Jews and Samaritans have great angst between them. In fact, Samaritans were kind of half Jewish and they only, held, they only really participated in, a, in a, a portion of the Jewish faith. They only recognized the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They didn't recognize the rest and therefore they recognized the tabernacle, that uh, the place, but not the temple in Jerusalem. So the biggest point of contention... Between the Jews and the Samaritans is where they worship. The, the Samaritans worshiped on Mount Gerizim. Now, listen to how the woman responds. She says, verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet, do you think? Yes. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. You see what she did there? Right? Right? I'm talking about my personal life with a prophet. Let's change the subject. Shall we do that? Let's bring up the most contentious point between my people and his people because I do not like this subject matter whatsoever. Now, I'm so glad she changes the subject because it gives us these profound words from Jesus about what worship really is and what the Father is looking for. It says this, Look at your neighbor and say, in spirit and in truth. For they, now get this phrase, for they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. Love that word. Father is seeking. He's looking. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, probably the woman was expecting the Jewish argument that goes like this. You Samaritans don't get it. You are worshiping in the wrong place. You have missed This theology of presence. You've missed the tent of meetings, the tabernacle, the temple, and that the temple is located in one place. That is the one place, the location where the Father has said, He will dwell there. He will turn His ears to our prayers there in Jerusalem on that mountain. I think that's what the woman was expecting. Anything rather than the five husbands, right? She'd rather take that than the five husbands. But Jesus doesn't say that, does he? What's he say? He says, you know what? A time is coming, and by the way, it's here now. That's all gonna change location is going to be rendered insignificant. That discussion, that debate, that wrestling, that will be completely beyond, it'll be beyond that. That we will enter this time when there's other things that are going to matter. That the Father is looking for something different. And it's really his manifest presence. That his presence will be anywhere the people of God are and are gathered and are entering in. Now, friends, I believe the Samaritans were missing it because of location. I want to suggest that especially the Western Church, capital C, we're missing it. Not necessarily because of location. You guys got it. You answered me. But I think we're seeing worship through a lens of preference rather than presence. Hear that? See some shaken heads? Yes? Let me say that again. That we're seeing this gathered space, we're seeing churches through a lens of preference rather than presence. Presence and to get to the worshipers that the Father is seeking, that he's looking for, that we have to press into beyond this lens of preference and into this theology of presence. Do you know why I believe that? It's because that's all the language. When I talk to people for 30 years about worship, some of you don't. But many of us do. 1980s and 90s and today. All the language is about preference, preference, preference. And we're missing this theology of presence. I want to do something. It's a little bit different um, this morning. And it, we're going to roll into the next morning. And I want us to unpack The elements of our gathered time together as a community of faith with a lens of presence, not preference. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, thank you, Mike. So we're going to look at these different elements through this lens that I think the Father wants us to see through this lens of the worshipers that God is, is looking for. And let's walk through this idea of what does it mean when he says location, insignificant, now I'm looking for... I'm looking for people that will worship in spirit and in truth. How does that happen in real time right now? When we enter in, when we enter in, the first thing we do is we begin with worship music, right? And and we enter into worship and prayer. Now, I want to give you this phrase that I think would help us understand what it means to be, to worship in spirit, is that we experience the presence of God when we are in the spirit. Look at your neighbor and say, in the spirit. In the spirit. What does that mean? Did you know phrase, friends, that that phrase is used throughout scripture? In fact, we see in Ephesians 6, Paul says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. What does that mean? Uh, John, the beginning book of Revelation, he says, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and then bam, all that crazy Revelation stuff came. What's it mean? In the Spirit. Then Paul, 1 Corinthians, he's talking about the worship service, and actually he's talking about gifts, tongues, and prophecy. He says this otherwise, when you are praising God in the Spirit, what's he mean by in the Spirit? Friends, I want to suggest that this is a presence phrase. This is coming from a theology of the manifest presence, the the active presence of God. And if I can try and explain it this way, is that in the presence of the Spirit is when there's this dynamic of my little spirit that's within me, that has new life, is connecting with the Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest that as we were worshiping together, some of us were singing and praying in the Spirit. And some of us were not. You don't have to understand in the Spirit. It's okay. Now, now let's look at this from a preference perspective. If we have a preference a lens, when we walk in, what were our first thoughts? Oh, look at what Beth is wearing. Anyone think that? All right. Oh, who's playing today? Uh, Where am I going to sit? That person is in my seat. I (laughs) saw that. Right? I was sitting in someone's seat. Right? Aren't those all, right? Oh, you know what? I don't like that song at all. That is not a good song. Ooh, I like that song. Is that right? That, aren't we there? I want to suggest that, think of it this way. Worship, essentially, with music, is prayer with music. Right? that's what we're doing. And, and we often have a sense when someone's praying that you stop because there's something sacred happening. Is that true? I mean, except for Josh last week. But beyond that, when someone's praying, if I were to stop and pray, you wouldn't suddenly whisper to someone, would you? Right? Worship, we don't have that same thing, do we? But really, that's what worship is. What we're trying to do is we are trying to enter the manifest presence of God in that moment. Do you ever wonder what I'm trying to do when I pray? Beth prayed this morning in the midst of songs, but oftentimes when I pray... Think about this, the direction that I'm praying, I'm getting, I'm trying to lift your attention in your eyes to the spiritual reality that is happening right now. That this, we're not just singing some songs with a bunch of friends, no, we are not. We are entering, we are seeking to enter the presence of God That is happening in the throne room of God right now. That he is enthroned right now. Jesus is at the right hand. And we're asking that he would send his spirit that would connect with our spirit. We're engaging. We're entering. We're in the spirit. Do you see? Do you understand? Now, some of us don't. Some of us don't do that. We we, we think we're singing songs. We're we're stuck in preference and we're missing missing presence. Honestly, when my daughter sings, I have to be particularly mindful of entering his presence. You know why? Because I could just sit there and enjoy her singing all day. And if I stayed there would I, would I truly be worshiping? No. Now, that enjoyment of my daughter can lead into thanksgiving of the Father, and it did. I, I, I'm happy to say this morning, I, I did that. I also knew I was going to be talking about it, so that was helpful. So, but, but right, I can, right? I love when Dave Bettinger plays the guitar. I love his work on the guitar, Right? I have to be mindful not to just, oh, I wonder what Dave has this morning for. You, do you see what I'm saying? That, that there's this, that I am engaging in my spirit and I'm seeking to meet. Jesus. That's the overall overall principle. Where do we, the, the principle of a church that we choose, where do we get to experience Christ? The presence of Christ. What enables us to do that? Prayer and worship is that moment that we get to enter in where we move beyond preference And we're engaging with the Father. Yes? Yes. Yes. Now, are there other times or ways that we get to experience Jesus as an assembly beyond prayer and worship? What's that? When we have communion, yes. And then also Fellowship. fellowship, yes. Good anyone what's happening right now go ahead go on the word of god that there is a way that we can experience god his presence in the scriptures go back to john 4:23 look at john 4:23 did you keep your finger in it it says right Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. We're talking about that, but also another way, what? In truth, where the truth of God is laid open. Yes, we're entering into the spiritual reality, but also we're receiving and we're hearing the voice of the living God in the pages of scripture. Now, just a little side note, I realize that my primary job is preaching, so I could preach this message in a way that is a little bit self-serving. Right? That I could try and convince you to like my preaching more. (laughs) But I'm just going to be real with you. That's not the intention here. Here's what the intention here I'm trying to get you to experience Jesus in the pages of Scripture. I'm trying to get you to experience Jesus in the preached and the proclaimed word. And if you don't experience Jesus in the word of God, in the preaching and the proclaimed word, then you should find another church. Do you understand? Let me give you the example. And I don't mean to be judgmental at all. In this way, just uh, I'm just trying to be as real and authentic with you. I listen to preachers, uh, um, really uh, around the nation. With the internet, we can do that. And there's some preachers I love. They are preaching truth and and the word of God. The voice of God is dramatic and significant. And you know, not always are those preachers. They don't have big churches. Oftentimes. Oftentimes they have little churches. Now I do know some preachers with really big churches, and I believe it's because people are hearing the voice of God, right? There's other pastors that I listen to and they have really big churches and they're actually really good communicators. But I'm not hearing the word of God in their preaching. Do you understand? Let me give you a word that I think is helpful in this. And this word is the word revelation. If you grew up in some non-Christian environments, the scriptures were really devalued. Books written by men, men chose them, so forth, outdated. We need a new ethic, all of that. If you're a Christian, you should be growing beyond that and realizing that scripture is far more than that. It is the actual revelation of who God is, of who we are, what this world is about, and how we engage it. And that we should be reading this unlike any other book or magazine because it's the very revelation of of who God is. Now, many of us are growing in that understanding, but the Bible, Scripture uses revelation not just in the Bible that has been revealed, but also revelation in an active way that God continues to bring revelation to those who are listening not that we're adding to the bible of course not never that would be wrong and heretical but that we're hearing god's revelation specifically in scripture and there's other places but we're 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 staying focused on scripture right now when paul prays a prayer For the church, he prays like this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and what? And revelation. that that we're hearing and discerning voice, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. It's the spirit of God that is entering into the word of God specifically and we're hearing his voice. We're engaging, we're experiencing Jesus in his word. Do you understand? Friends, I like preparing for sermons at least as much, probably a little bit more so than I like preaching sermons. Do you know why? Because I get to experience Jesus in the pages of Scripture, and there's no pressure. <laughs> there's pressure with preaching. Now, I, I, I'm growing and experiencing His presence while I preach. But I get to experience his presence just me and him in the word. He's revealing. He's speaking to my heart. He's bringing illumination to my mind. One of the things I absolutely love is when people tell me that this profound point that I made impacted them right in the soul. And they don't realize it that I did not make that profound point. They heard it I didn't say it. Where'd they hear it? It was the Spirit of God revealing that to them, to you and I. I also love it when people say, how did you know? And of course, I say, I was reading your mail earlier. Your spouse called me up and said, could you please preach on this? My wife really needs it. Right? Right? My wife thinks I preach to her every Sunday. It's the spirit of God. He's revealing, he's speaking. We're we're experiencing him. Yes? All right, there's there's five points that you have in your bulletin we are going to handle two points. I'm not going for as long as I want because we're one service, all right? We're going to roll over into the next service, uh, uh, next Sunday. And, and I'd like to skip over in your bulletin to sacraments because we are taking the communion today and in a very profound way, we experience Jesus Through prayer and worship, when we are in the Spirit, we experience Jesus and the Father when we hear God's Word preached. And then also we experience His presence, in particular in the sacraments of the body and the juice, communion, as well as baptism. Baptism with water, Baptism with the Holy Spirit. Just going to talk about communion this morning. And there's been great debate in how Christ is present in the bread and the wine or the juice or the wafer. Um, I remember I was at seminary and there was an Episcopalian seminarian that was there and we, we talked on this and he got a little coy look on his face, and he said, you know, Jesus said, this is my body. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, he kind of said it that way as if he's resolved this theological issue of how is Christ present in the body. And what I wanted to say was, you know, there were times that Jesus used hyperbole and metaphor, and he didn't mean us to take the words exactly literal, but I refrained. I think the body of Christ is is far more, uh, way too divided over the things that should unite us, right? Yes? Amen? Amen? And so I just said, God bless you. You're good. You be you, I'll be me. See, what I think we need to talk about is just believe that Christ is present in a mysterious way but then really wrestle with how are we present to him? How are we present at the table? What's the the condition of our hearts and our souls as we engage with him? Friends, I think that's the burning issue. I think we're missing it. Quite honestly, I, I think traditions of the church do some things well. I think our our charismatic brothers and sisters do in the spirit worship and prayer better than we generally do. I I think um, evangelicals experience the word pretty good. That's where we are. I think our Catholic brothers and sisters, our Anglican brothers and sisters, not that I would agree with their theology as much, but I think they engage with God's presence at communion, that there's some lessons there. We were just on vacation, we visited this church in Mexico and it was in the middle of a, the week, the middle of the day and, and there were people that were worshiping and it was the sacramental elements. And again, not that I would agree necessarily theologically with how Christ is present, all those kind of things, but to see their engagement they were experiencing Jesus in that moment. And friends, I, I long, I long for us to reshape our understanding of what it means to gather together. That we would move beyond preference that we would move beyond ritual that we would move and we would say no we gather together because unlike any other place on this earth there's no yes can you worship can you experience god and worship him in the mountains yes that's true you can it's not the same of god's gathered people you understand that that there's there's this element, there's there's mystery. I can't can I experience God by myself in the Word? Yes, individually, yes, but but it's not the same. That there's this mystery there. And the Father, don't forget, he's seeking after people who would get it, who would say, yeah, it's not just I'm going on a Sunday morning and hope uh, the music is good and hope the pastor has something to say good. No. It's that I'm coming to experience his active presence in a way that I can't do anywhere else on the face of this earth. And I come with anticipation, anticipation. I come with hunger. I come with thirst that the streams of living water would flow within me and within us. You hear that? All right. Next week, we're gonna look at those other two elements and then carry it a little bit farther. Jesus said this while they're eating. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Oh, my Episcopalian friend was right. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many of the forgiveness of sins. I'm just gonna take a little bit more time on this. (laughs) <laughs> so, ready to go on, but the Spirit wants me to hang here, okay? Would you think about the difference between a symbol and a sacrament? A symbol or a sign represents something else, it points us to something else. A street sign points us to this is a street, right? Sometimes a physical element, like oil we talk about, points us to the spirit of God. There's a, there's a presence, there's a, a pointing to that thing. That's what a symbol or a sign does. Jesus takes those symbols, like bread, And wine, and yes, he points us to his body and his blood. He points us to the cross, but when he blesses those symbols and they become sacraments, this is why they become sacraments because those sacraments invite us, they don't just point us to something, they invite us to participate in that which they point to. Do you understand? I need to say that again, don't I? The sacrament points, uh, invites us to participate in that which the symbol points to. So the sacrament of His blood, uh, the of His the juice and the bread, or cracker. Yes, it points us to the cross of Christ but Jesus instituted it in it in a way that it becomes the sacrament that it invites us into the presence of his broken body and his shed blood. Do you see that? So we come to the table not simply as a symbol but as a sacrament. We engage in his manifest presence. I don't want to argue how his manifest presence is present in the juice and the bread. We've had enough arguing. What I want to talk about is the invitation that he says, participate. This is a sacrament. Engage. Amen? Amen. Now, we, we do have a, a little bit of special Sunday that um, we are participating in a um, a movement really, um, uh, Call to Fall is the movement, and it's a, a national movement that's been uh, around, I believe since 2009, and they're asking the churches on one particular Sunday just to take a few moments of confession personally, and then nationally. Just a few moments. And we thought as we talked about this, uh, Veda, an elder, she was saying it would be great. They're, they're hoping that there's a 40,000 churches on this particular Sunday morning that would just take a couple of minutes of confession. And so we said, let's be one of those churches together and let's connect it to communion because confession is such an important part, Right? Our sin gets in the way of God's presence. Do you know that? And so that's why confession is such a part of this. And what we're going to do is we're simply going to read together a confessional that is, um, that is more personal, and then we'll have a moment of silence. And then we're going to read together a confession that's more national, and then we'll have a moment of silence and then we will partake in communion. Okay? All right. Now, if you would like to kneel there at your table, feel like you, or at your chairs, you can, don't feel like you need to. If you would like to just simply sit there and, and um, close your eyes, not during the reading part, but during the confession part, uh, but just get in a posture of confession, um, whatever your most comfortable With, please do that. Can we read together this confessional statement? Holy and merciful God, in your presence we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. You alone know how often we have strayed from your ways and your purposes for us, wasting your gifts and forgetting your love. Have mercy on us, O Lord, we repent. Help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to turn from destructive patterns and walk in your light. In this time of silence, I'll read this one. In this time of silence, continue to confess and seek the face of the Lord. Would you just take a moment of silence between you and the Lord? If there's anything in your heart, there's anything getting in the way of communion with you and the Father, would you just confess that individually to him. Jesus, thank you that you are faithful to forgive all that we confess. Can we read together this more national confession? Almighty and merciful God, we confess we are a people divided against ourselves because of fear, jealousy, and greed. We have set neighbor against neighbor and nation against nation. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, O Lord. Uh, Let's see. We repent for the ways we have grieved you as a nation. We pray you would remove the blinders that prevent us from being your representatives in the broken world you have. Sorry for messing up. This we pray in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Would you just take a moment to confess anything any way that our nation needs to confess when we've not done justice, when we've not been merciful. Let's take this moment to seek the face of God. Lord, you have said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my panim, my face, my presence, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Father, let it be so. Amen. And amen. I'd like to invite the elders forward for communion. We have stations for each section, so that stations for that section, this station is for this section, this station here, here, here. At the appropriate time, if you would, uh, when you're invited to come, would you leave your section to your right? Hold on to the elements. Bring them back to your seat with you to your left. And I would encourage you to pray. Don't just wait for everybody to get done. But listen for the voice of Jesus. Listen for what he's saying to you. Listen for his love, his kindness, his goodness that he wants to pour out in your life. And again, if one line is longer than the other, we're not legalistic. You can go to that other line, okay? It was this beautiful night that Jesus knew he was going to face the cross, not because of anything he had done, it was just because of you and me and our sin and our brokenness and our separation from God. It was, this, it was a scandalous night. And he knew that his, his disciples, his apostles, the closest ones, they would betray him. They would flee. They would leave. And yet still, incredibly, he took the bread And after he blessed it and he broke it he said this is my body do this in remembrance of me and in a similar way after dinner he took the cup and he said this cup it's a, a new covenant, a new way, really a new presence, a, a new way to experience his presence, his face, that this cup, the, the juice didn't just point to the blood that flowed down from the cross, that the bread didn't just point to his body that was, that was beaten and flogged and pierced, But in fact, he said in this new covenant that we participate with him. We engage with him. We hear his voice. We receive his forgiveness. We know his love for us, the freedom from condemnation. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Would you come and engage in his body and his shed blood?